Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Bibles, we're going to open up to a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter number 11 and verse 42. And it's an odd text for, for my title, but I want to preach to us very simply today on God's love. God's love. Luke 11 and 42, Jesus is bringing criticism to the practice of the Pharisees. And he says, but woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to left, not to leave the other undone. He tells them you're not wrong in your tithing, your practice of, of paying attention to the small details and, and trying to make sure you're doing what, what looks the part. But in doing so, you have neglected or you've passed over things like judgment and the love of God. We spend a lot of time in our Bible reading and in our time together as a church in our study looking into the ways of God. We study the Lord, and that's commendable. We need to study God. We want to be like Him. Then we need to know what He's like. We study the teachings of God. We've just spent, I don't know how many months on our Wednesday nights going through the parables and dissecting and extracting so many many applicable things, things that we we can do, things that we can change, things that we can expect to happen, you know, if we operate in a certain way. Uh, We explore many times in Scripture the expectations of God, the teachings of the Lord. What what does He require of man? What what is it that the Lord expects out of me in this situation or that situation? And all of those things are good and appropriate, and I think they capture our mind because as, as people, we want to see action. We want something to happen. And so when we think of something like like love... It almost has the feeling of a noun in our mind. It's just something that is, but it's, it's not something that does. But many times in Scripture, love is a verb. It, it's something that happens. It, it's an action, but it seems so passive in conversation. Um, I just feel led to turn our eyes and our attention to His love today. His love. His love, like a, a masterful painting or a beautiful sunset, the, the longer you gaze into it, the more beautiful it appears. You know, the longer you study it, the more details that you're aware of. If you've ever found yourself sitting and looking at a landscape as the sun's going down, you think, man, that's, that's so cool. And it's the colors maybe that immediately catch your mind. And then after you look at it for a while, it's, 
it's the trees on the horizon, and it's the shading, and it's, it's the way things are. And it, it just continues to unfold before your eyes, and that's, that's a lot like God's love. Because we would say at, at first hand, hey, do you understand the love of God? And maybe on surface, we, yeah, yeah, I do. But it's so much deeper than we can fathom that we can't truthfully answer that question with a yes entirely. It, it goes beyond our understanding. A few things I want to point out, and I'm just going to kind of go point by point here as we talk, but God is the first to love. When we think about God's love, He, he loved first. I don't know what it's like in your home, in, in your family now. I don't know what it was like when you were upbringing. You know, some families, it's like they, they might say, I love you once or twice in a lifetime. And then you have other families that they say it once or twice a minute. My family, it's like, if, if you're going from the kitchen to the living room, bye, love you. It, they just, it's, just, it's just what happens. You know, I'm going to the gas station, I'll be back in five minutes. Love you. And, and it just comes out, and that's, that's fine. And in a lot of ways, I try to do that in our own home. I want my wife, I want my children, people that are close to me and I care about. I, I want them to know, man, I, I do, I love them. And if that trip to the gas station is the last one, I, I want them to know. I've made a practice, and it gets kind of comical sometimes, but we try to make the last thing we say at night, good night, I love you. But you know how it is when you can't sleep and life's busy, and so sometimes it's, all right, good night, I love you. Then there's a few moments of silence. Oh, hey, did you remember to blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, good night, I love you. And, and it just cycles through sometimes. Um, but it's important, but... Love is, within people is an interesting thing. It almost gets developed mutually or, or at the same time. People grow to love one another. But in, in God's case, He absolutely loves first. Before we have the ability to comprehend what love is or reciprocate it in any way, He loves us. He does not grow to love us as we obey Him. We don't somehow uh, do enough good things and then finally we reach a point where he says, all right, you've now earned my love. I love you now. As a father, he loves from the moment we're brought into existence. And every parent can, can comprehend and follow that right now. But, you know, when, when your children are born, they require everything from you and they can do nothing for you. And yet from, from the very get-go, there's such a deep affection for our children. Well, God takes that to a whole nother level as the Scripture declares in several places that He forms us in the womb. He's intimately involved in the conception, the creation of every human being that walks the face of the planet. He has a hand in that. He, he loves us from conception. This is why we take the stance we do on abortion. It's not because we... we hate people that commit this or, you know, we have this disposition from a political standpoint, but the reason we stand against the practice of abortion is because we understand that there is a human life there whom God loves. Right. He loves first. That, that embryo, that, that child, that soon-to-be breathing human being has, has nothing to offer God. And yet there's a place in the heart of God for them. And so it was with you and me. God loved first. His love is very enduring. 
and persistent. See, we're formed by God, but we're also formed in flesh. So you and I, were, God has a hand in it, but we were born fleshly people. And so we have a, a sinful nature. And I'm walking through this part kind of carefully because there's a lot of, I believe there's a lot of misconception on this. People say, well, see, we're born, we're born in sin. Okay, well, we're, we're born with a sinful nature. But you're going to be hard-pressed to convince me that a, a child that's born and lives for a few moments is immediately a sinner in the sight of God. The child has not committed any sin. They have a nature that if they're given enough time on this planet, will lead them into sin. They will at some point make a conscious decision to disobey what they know is right. And, and they will sin against God. The, the Scripture tells us all have sinned and fallen short. So anyone that's been around long enough to make a decision like that is a sinner. But even as, as little bitty children, we're born with this sinful nature. And we make our way down that path. And if we're on this planet long enough, we fall victim to our selfish nature and we sin against God. And in that moment, God doesn't go, oh, you broke my heart. Now I'm angry and I despise you. Because it, it hurts the most when the people you love go against you. That's a painful thing. If you've got a family member or, or a close friend and, and you really love these individuals and then they stab you in the back or they betray you or they go around and they do things that, that are against you, those wounds cut deep. And that's exactly what happens in, with God every single time. There's an individual whom He creates and He loves and He wants the best for and every single time they go around and they spit in his face and they stab him in the back and they fall prey to sin. And those wounds are deep. But the Lord doesn't go, see, now I'm, I'm going to become jaded. I'm, you're, you're not going to get back in. I'm going to guard myself. He just continues to love. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 4 and 5, I'm going to read. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins. His love continues to be extended to us in the middle of our disobedience in the middle of our sin, in the middle of us making a sometimes willful decision to go against the Word of God and against the will of God and we sin against Him and we do things that we know will displease Him and yet He continues to love. His love is enduring. Romans 5 and 8 tells us, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His most extreme uh, display of love is extended in the midst of a sinful state. He didn't wait until, man, when they turn their heart back to me, when, when they repent and they get right, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in their life. I'm going to demonstrate my love. 
I love them, but I won't show them yet until they get it right. And then when they get it right, I'm going to just pour it out. But he poured it out while we were his adversary, while we were against him and trying to hold him at arm's length. The love of God endures the pain of re- and pain and rejection of our sin. He continues to love despite the displeasure of our choices. Not only does He love us in our place of disobedience, His love is ever reaching for us in this condition. So we, again, love is an action. Love isn't just a, a mushy word that makes us feel good and makes little hearts show up in our text messages. It, it actually does something. So not only is God's love able to endure the, the pain, but in the midst of that, it is actively reaching for people that are living in a sinful state. His love doesn't say, I'll, I'll love you and I'll be right there when, when you're ready to act right. His love says, rather, I, I love you and I'll do everything I can to get your attention with that love. All the way to the point of, of coming to Calvary. I, I, I love you that much. I'm, I'm going to cause a big spectacle and I'm going to make a show of my love so that you know without a shadow of a doubt. His love is redemptive. It's redemptive. If you've ever been the one, because we like, I guess it's easier to think about when we're the one that does the right thing and someone else wrongs us. But truth be told, we've all been on that side a time or two as well. When we, we wrong someone that we did care about. And the guilt and the shame that comes. When it, maybe sometimes it's not even intentional, but we realize we've hurt them and, and we feel bad and we think, well, they'll never, they'll never forgive us. That relationship is gone. It's never going to be restored. And man, the, the weight that's lifted off your shoulders when reconciliation actually takes place. When they come to you and there's a conversation that takes place and, and there's, there's actually redemption that goes forward. Love does that. God's love is redemptive. John chapter 3, verse 16. We could all quote this one. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Say, so why, why did He come? Uh, he didn't hang on the cross out of oblation. He wasn't obligated. He didn't sit back and say, well, I guess I got to go. Guess I got to do it. I have no other choice. He's God. He could have said, well, I gave him a chance, gave him the law, gave him conscience, gave him human government, gave him all these things. They messed it all up. That's it. I'm done. He wasn't obligated to Calvary. He wasn't doing it out of desperation. Oh, I'm just, I just need, I need people so bad. I'll just sacrifice myself because I'm desperate. for. He doesn't need us. What drove Jesus to Calvary was love. I love them. I care about them. I know they messed up. I realize they don't have any other hope. The only chance they have at redemption, the only way we can make this right and I can restore the relationship between me and them is to shed my blood. And so His love for us, God so loved the world, that's what prompted Calvary. That's, that was the motivation behind it. God's love calls us higher. This is important for people to understand because we get this 
the stuff mixed up. We get love and acceptance totally blurred together sometimes. And we say, well, God is, he is love. He, he is love, unconditional love. And I would merit that. I would champion that today. God loves unconditionally. That's why he can say that even when we're living in sin, his love is there for us and it's reaching for us and it's working with us. That does not mean that he accepts sin. And so God's love calls us higher. When we respond to that love, when it reaches us in that place where, man, I, I realize I'm sinful and I realize I'm broken and the only chance I have at redemption is to respond to Jesus. I'm coming to the Lord. Oh, God loves me so much. Then he calls me to change some things. I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. There's a young man who comes to Jesus and he wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I got to do? Tell me, tell me now so I can, I can make sure it happens. And the conversation plays out a little bit. Jesus responds, well, you know what the law says. Yeah, I know the law says to do this and this and this. And he says, well, then there you go. And this, this young man says, I've, I've done all those things. And yet he recognized there was still, there was something that wasn't right. There was something missing in his life. And the scripture says in Mark 10, 21, then Jesus beholding him, loved him. He loved him. Well, what does it look like to be loved? Then Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way and sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and take up your cross and follow me. Um, I don't like that answer. The Bible tells us this guy goes away sorrowful. I don't know what the end of his story was, if he ever got it right or not. But when he encountered Jesus, the love that the Lord extended to him called him to a higher level of living. In fact, there again, we see it as a verb. He loved him. Well, what did that look like? It looked like him saying, listen, I've got a better plan for you. What does love and action look like? It's God saying, hey, I've got something more. I want you, this is, this is the instruction I have for you. You can elevate your, your standard of living. You can elevate your lifestyle. You can take up your, you can follow me. And, and love calls us to a higher level of living. We, we can't say, well, I can, I can live in disobedience to God because he, he loves me. Well, you can find yourself loved by God all the way to hell. That's a stark statement. You don't hear that a lot in society, but it's true. God will not, will not accept sin to appease his love. He, he remains a just God. His love will reach until the bitter end but we can reject it. We have to heed the calling of God's love and allow it to work in our life and cause us to change. That leads me to my next point. When we embrace God's love, it produces a response of love in us. First um, John chapter 4 is a, a great chapter to read just in this entire topic of God's love. But I'm going to draw our attention to verse 19, which very simply states, We love Him because He first loved us. So we've got to remember that, that God loved first. 
He's been extending that love and pressing that love and reaching with that love and and demonstrating that love all through our life. And when we finally come to a place where we say, all right, I realize it, I see it now. When we really have an encounter with that, the proper response then is to begin to reciprocate that love. Well, what does the scripture say? It's not just one place. There's multiple uh, places, both Old Testament and New Testament, where the love of God is connected to our obedience to his commands. He says it himself. It's stated many times in the Old Testament. Love the Lord and obey his commands. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so this, this calling to a higher way of living is God's extension of love to us. The way we, we reciprocate that love is by being obedient to his word. Love now becomes a two-way street. Our love for Him biblically has to be connected to the obedience of His commands. Our attempt to live a life of obedience motivated by any other source will fail. Say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be disciplined. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read my Bible and everything it says, I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to do it because it's right and I'm, I'm just going to live a disciplined life. Okay, how'd your last diet work out? Because our discipline isn't as strong as we like to think it is. Oh no, no, I'm I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I got No, you're not. If if discipline, self-discipline is my motivation in living for God, I'm gonna fail miserably. If guilt becomes my motivation in living for God, I'm gonna fail. We we see the love of God that He's extended for us and we recognize all the bad things and we get this, this idea that somehow I've got to make it up to Him. I feel so bad. I feel so horrible. And, and we constantly live looking in the rearview mirror trying to make future decisions to make up for, for past failures. It doesn't work. We continue to fail. We, guilt is not a good enough motivation. Desire to please others is not a good enough motivation to live for God. See this sometimes with with new converts. As parents, it's something that we need to guard against in the life of our children because desire to please others can be a um, a short term motivation to live for God. They come into the church or they, they get older, they, they get to an age where, where they're starting to be able to make some of their own decisions and they want to make mom and dad happy. Or they don't want to let us down. Or these people that are coming around that, that, that become new people, they, they don't want to, to look like they don't fit in. And so I'll just real quick conform to some things. And conformity is easy for a little while. Conformity is easy until resistance comes. And if there's no foundation under the changes I've made, then I'm going to crumble under the pressure of persecution or questioning. And so pleasing others is not a good enough desire. Fear of judgment is not a good enough desire. It's not a good enough motivator. Well, I'm going I'm to live for God because I don't want to go to hell. Well, the Apostle Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's a great tool sometimes for conversion. Sometimes it takes that to get through to the, the mind and the heart of people. But it's not a good enough motivation to live for God for the rest of my life. Because... Whether we knew the details or not, we knew at least to some level that there were going to be consequences for our sin before we tried to make this. 
None of these things will work. You, you, we could go down the list. You could throw things out too that, that maybe incite people to live for God for a little while. And then the zeal fades away or a little time goes by or a little struggle comes along. And if the motivation's not right, it's just not going to last. All of these motives use, or, or they, all of these things motivate us temporarily, but they will not be enough to keep us. The answer to overcoming temptation is to fall more in love with Jesus. Why are we tempted by things? It's because we love either those things or what they produce in our life. I love the joy that XYZ thing brings me. I'm tempted to do this because, man, I, love, I just love the feeling. I love the whatever it is. Okay? I know it's talking about money, but the Scripture says no man can serve two masters. There comes a point in time where I have to say I love Jesus more. I've got to develop that relationship to the point where, yes, man, I, I do really enjoy that. That has a lot of appeal to me. Oh, that, that, that really pulls on my flesh. But you know what pulls on me more? Being right with God. I, I love Him so much. I've developed such a relationship. How do I do that? I do that through time in His Word and through prayer and through allowing myself to dwell in His presence and, and get to know Him and build and cultivate that relationship so that that is the strongest pull in my life. Say, so why do you do the things you do? Because it pleases God. Not because the church said so or, or somebody taught me or, or I have to. None of those reasons are good enough. But when you get to the point where people say, man, why, why do you do that? Oh, I, I do that because it makes God happy. And I love it. See, love becomes my motivation. I don't, I don't have to give any other rationale. I don't have to defend that to anyone. If you make a commitment to your spouse, you know, you're going to whatever, be home at a certain time in the evening. or you, And people say, oh, come on, why do you do that? And you say, well, because I made this commitment. It doesn't matter what they say at that point. That decision is between you and your love. It's the same way with God. I, I'm driven by my love for Him. I want to do things that make Him happy. I want to please Him. And that's cultivated in me because He's extended such a great love to me. When I consider how loving He is in my life, I can't help but respond in love. God's love is undeterred. This is good news. Because even when we make that last decision, there are still moments of weakness. There are still moments where we mess up. Romans 8, 35-39 is a common passage of Scripture along this topic, but it says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? You go through trials of your faith, that doesn't separate you from God. There are moments in life, there are sometimes seasons of life where we know that God is there. We know that God is real. We, we, we have a, a long-standing relationship and yet we still struggle with our faith. 
There are just times where maybe it's isolated to a certain situation and we struggle to see God moving in, in that area. There are times that we just we, we struggle in general. God, what, what's going on? I'm having a hard time believing. I, I don't feel you as near as I used to. And, and in those moments, we would be tempted to believe that there is less of God's love in our life. But the Scripture says that, that the trials, they can't separate us from God's love. It's still there. It's still present. Hardships come. Hardships in this life. And while the Lord sees through the lens of eternity, we do not. And so when we find ourselves struggling and going through hard situations, uh, physically or economically, emotionally, whatever it might be in this life, it's, it's difficult for us to see the big picture. And so we feel like, surely, surely the Lord doesn't love me anymore, or He wouldn't allow this to take place. But the Bible assures us that hardships cannot separate us from God's love. Unjust treatment because of a stand that we take for Jesus, it, it uses the term persecution. You make a stand for the Lord. You really step out and put yourself out there. And, and instead of it working out like you think it's going to and everybody repenting and falling on their knees, instead they make fun and they laugh and they joke and, and you become a mockery or worse yet, you know, something bad happens and, and you're persecuted. Say, well, where's the love of God? And now I've been separated, I've been severed from the love of God. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. The Bible says that even persecution doesn't take us away from the love of God. Famine, the scripture says, times when, when you simply don't have enough. And again, this can be this can be physical. Times when you, you don't have enough money in the bank or food in the cupboard, but Sometimes there's just there's a famine of emotional strength. There's a famine of the ability to comprehend. And, and when we fall way, way, way short, we're tempted to question God's love, but it's, it's still there. Scripture speaks of nakedness. I would turn our mind to times of exposure when we feel like we're, we're put on display for all to see. Times of embarrassment or humiliation and, and God's love is still there. Sometimes we bring those things on ourselves. Sometimes others thrust them upon us. But God's love doesn't flee no matter the case. It says, or perils or sword, dangerous seasons of life, God's love, it's still there. Go to verse 36. It says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So he asked the question, can any of these things, what, what things can say? And he goes through the list. Now he answers himself in verse 37, nay. So no, none of those things can. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So our ability to be victorious, again, is extended to us through the love of God. For I am persuaded, he says in verse 38, that neither death nor life, so the, the fear of death can't separate me from the love of God. Life. Sometimes life is scarier than death. 
Life can be difficult. Life can be scary. Life can be hard. And we've got all these things and, and oh man, everything's going a thousand miles an hour and we're stressed out and we're worried and, and we've got doubt and we're dealing with fear and, and nobody gets along anymore. And, but life, it can't separate us from the love of God. It says, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. There's nothing supernatural that can come in and, and strip us and, and whisk us away to a place where God's love is not present. Nor things present. There's a, a word for today for somebody. Whatever you're going through right now, the things that are on your plate right now cannot separate you from the love of God. It's funny how sometimes whatever we're facing at the moment seems to be the biggest deal we've ever been up against. And we can look at somebody else with a much larger issue, a much larger challenge, and assure them of God's love. But how's He ever going to help me you know, fix my flat tire? Whatever our situation is, present things cannot separate you from the love of God, nor things to come. We've got all this fear in our world now, and everybody's worried about what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Well, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that I'm not going to lose God's love. I know that we're not going to get to a place where the Lord says, that's it. I'm retracting my love from the world. Not until maybe you could, you could word it that way in regards to the rapture when His presence is removed. But until that point, we're, we're not going to get to a place. I don't know what the future holds. That's what everybody's stressed out about right now. What, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's it going to be like? I don't know, but God's still going to love me. nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. You might have some people in your life that you would call creatures. They cannot separate you from the love of God. Maybe you tell them that. Look here, creature. Uh, probably not. But they can't. There's nothing that can drive a wedge. There's nothing you can do there's nothing life can throw at you. There's nothing your enemies can do. There's nothing that can happen to you or around you. There's nothing that can go on in your family. There's nothing that can happen that can segregate you from the love of God. His love, it's far-reaching. Finally, the love of God is a place of residence. For his people. It's a place for us to dwell. Jude chapter 20, or I'm sorry, there's only one chapter. Jude verse 20 through 22. Making up my own Bible verses up here. Jude 20 through 22. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself. In the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until unto eternal life. I get the mental picture as, as this thing progresses of, of a dust storm. I'm just visual, so you have to bear with me here. You see this thing way out in the distance and it starts at conception. And it, it's the big cloud on the horizon. It, it's, it's God's love out there. He forms us in the womb. His love starts to go. 
His love is in pursuit of us as we live a life that's at times displeasing to Him. That, that storm, it's coming our way. All the way to the point of Calvary, it's, it's reaching for us. His love causes us to move in the direction that He desires. Even if, if somehow He corrals us. There's a dust storm coming at you. You're going to move in the opposite direction. Sometimes God uses His love to, to navigate us to where He wants us to be. We begin to live a life of obedience, reciprocating that love to Him. And ultimately, it cannot be escaped. It engulfs us. It surrounds us. It's, it's all around us. His love consumes us. And our every perception is then affected by it. See, once that dust storm comes comes around me and, and, it, and it consumes me, I can't see things without looking through it. So the way I view my family and the way I view my job and the way I view temptation and the way I view opportunity and the way I view people, everything that I, I look at is seen through this, this giant dust cloud. Everything that we look at as children of God should be seen through the love of God. It should... And, engulf us and consume us. The writer here said, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourself there. Don't, don't try to distance your... Well, I'm going to make this... I'm going to make a rational decision. I can't be making mushy-gushy decisions. Well, God's love is rational. God's love is rational. I don't know if the, the songwriter has it right. I, I don't quite think it's a reckless love. But it is a real love. It is a, a consistent, pursuing love that never fails. It's always there. Everything we do becomes affected by it. And so then we shed it abroad, as the Scripture says. How can I love like Jesus? The only way I can love like Jesus is if His love it just surrounds me. I can't see things the way He does without His love working in me. I can't view people the way I should without His love working in me. When people compliment you, that's a golden opportunity to point your finger back to Jesus. Every good quality, every good trait in my life right now, I can tell you, hands down, is a byproduct of God working in my life. His love extended to me. Because everything that people find to compliment about me, I can look back at a time in my life and I wasn't that way. Nobody ever comes up and compliments anything in my life that I can look back and say I had before the Lord was there. No, it, it's His love. It's His love working through me. I'm going to close. You can come and play. Far too often we move, we move so quack, quackly. Far too often we move so quickly past His love and focus on the effects it should have on our lifestyle or the way we treat others that we fail to see the depth and dimension of just how Jesus feels about us. I don't know in, in all my years of preaching that I've ever taken an entire service to just talk about the love of God like this. I've touched on it. I've preached it. I've segued through it. I've used it to illustrate how we should behave. I've used it to illustrate how we should treat others or how grateful we should be. But sometimes we move so quickly past the love of God to what it's trying to produce 
that we fail to, to take the time to just, just look into that sunset for a moment and to really allow everything about it to unfold and see the whole picture. Because yeah, the, the sunset itself is beautiful, but, but there's so much more there. So much more there. It's deep, it's wide. There's dimension, there's depth. So as we close today in prayer and worship, that's all I'm gonna encourage you to do. Take some time and really consider and to gaze into the love of God in your life. Maybe it's a quick trip down memory lane of all the times that the Lord has come through and, and times when, when you found yourself not feeling His love or you didn't know where it was, but now on this side of it, you can see that. You can see where God's love was. Maybe it's a comparison of, of that love to a situation that you're facing right now and a reminder to yourself that He's still there. He still cares. His love isn't waning or becoming weaker. He's just as passionate about His relationship with you today as He was when He formed you in the womb. It's all about God's love. She's going to play. You have an opportunity to pray, reflect, sing, worship. You do whatever you want to. But take some time and meditate. Meditate on, on the love of God. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.